Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. I'll probably go to uh, Isaiah chapter 11 right away in this message and be there for just a few moments and come back to Revelation. But uh, as I said this morning, make sure you write down these passages because there's a lot of passages that we'll be giving you and, and it's kind of hard to turn and keep up with all of them. So again, we're in Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to begin again with verse 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, whose, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now shall we pray, Father? I pray now as we look into this message this morning that you just, uh, in a, that we've looked at this morning, I just pray that as we continue it tonight, that you would give understanding not only to the truth, but also to our personal responsibility before God. I pray, Lord, that you would just work in hearts as we see this country in trouble Should Christ not come soon, very soon, then we see children, we see grandchildren engulfed in the flames of hell. So, Lord, I pray, I pray for each of us to understand the full, the full impact of what you're saying here. And we'd ask this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, this morning we considered the rapture. That's when every saved person will be caught up to be at the Lord. The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to be that quick and we're with the Lord. At that point, there's a judgment seat of Christ where every saved person goes before, does not determine whether they're going to heaven or hell. If you're going to the, to the judgment seat of Christ, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. The thing is, at the judgment seat of Christ, it'll determine rewards. And we read to you from 1 Corinthians 3.15 how we count the loss. So, you know, some will suffer loss. God had a plan for you. God wanted to use your life. God really was speaking to your heart, and you didn't even really seek it with your whole heart. And as a result, uh, you lose out in reward that you didn't even know the things that you were supposed to be doing because you didn't seek it. And then we saw that there's also the white throne judgment, which is what our text is talking about. The white throne judgment is for all those who are without Jesus Christ. Everyone that goes to the white, white throne is uh, going to be judged there, but not to determine heaven or hell. It's going to be there to determine their eternal punishment. Hell and the lake of fire will be worse for some than it is for others. All of it is bad, but it's going to be worse for some than it is for others. And we pointed that out in the scriptures readings of this morning. 
And then we said after the rapture, there's a seven-year tribulation period, three and a half years of tribulation, three and a half years of great tribulation. And in those three, last three and a half years, the Israel's in big trouble then because this world leader, the Antichrist, that beast, he turns on them. And then all the armies at the end of that seven years are gathered together. And they are going to fight against Israel and destroy that holy city. And Christ comes back. He touches down on earth. That's the actual second coming because at the rapture we meet him in the air. And then they set up a period known as the millennial period. And that's where we're going to start tonight is with the millennium. So that's where I'm going to Isaiah chapter 11. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, and I'm going to look at verses, uh, if I find it, we're going to look at uh, 6 through 10. Okay. And in verses 6 through 10, and really that those first uh, five verses deal with it, but these are some specifics of it. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To which shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Well, that's a great uh, passage there. Uh, going back and dating myself just a little bit here, I can remember hearing Tennessee Ernie Ford sing the song, There'll Be Peace in the Valley. And he'd say, well, the bear shall be gentle, and the wolf shall be tamed, and the lion shall lay down by the lamb. Aren't you glad that I'm not singing it? Can't sing like him. And the beast of the wild shall be led by a child, and I'll be changed, changed from the creature that I am. Boy, I tell you, that, that is a great thing, because that's the truth. <laughs> it, it's just not a nice thought. It's not a hope. It is more than hope. It is a truth that is coming for those in that 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And it actually will happen. I, I find it interesting, because politicians have promised things like this for years. I mean, they promise things like this, and they say things, and, and, and yet uh, those things never really happen. But this is actually going to happen. God makes promises, and his promises will be kept. They're going to happen as he said they would happen. And every the reason I know that every prophecy of Jesus Christ's first coming, every one was fulfilled. Not one was left out. Every prophecy was fulfilled. And every prophecy of his second coming. We even see nations lining up now, uh, as they will, uh, somewhat like in the tribulation hour. We even see that lining up at this point. Uh, and so then we'll see that millennium is a great period of time for this earth. Satan is chained in the uh, pit 
And boy, this earth will have the greatest time of prosperity it has ever, ever had. Now, you ever hear people say that we are products of our environment? You know, right off the bat, that was proven wrong because Adam and Eve fell in the best environment. I mean, in the best environment, they fell. But Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says about Jesus that he came in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son in the fullness of the time. He was born of a virgin, just like the Bible said he would be. And so here he is, somebody that is born of a virgin in the fullness of time. What does he mean by the fullness of the time? Sin at its fullest. You read the stories of Rome. You read the stories of, even in our Bible, of Corinth and the terrible things that were there. Many of those things would make uh, Sodom and Gomorrah almost blush. It was terrible in those places. And yet, in the fullness of time when sin was at its fullness, Jesus came, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was not a product of the earth environment. Oh, no. He was a man who paid the penalty for all sin, for all time. And so, with that thought, we look in verses 7 through 10 here of chapter 20 of Revelation. He says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to the battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Well, as we see there, Satan is loosed. And although the conditions for a thousand years was the best that earth has ever known, the best environment one could ask for, yet men are deceived by the devil. And he gets a large group after him and they surround that holy Jerusalem and and then... He comes down, sends fire, and destroys them all. And the white throne judgment will follow that. And then people are cast into the lake of fire. Do you realize that Matthew 25, 41 says that that was created for the devil and his angels? God did not want man to go there. But it was created for the devil and his angels. When we look back at that, God provided a way of salvation and had the plan before the foundations of the earth. And it's interesting because earth tries to change things around, man changes things around, and they have a devil with a pitchfork and a tail and all that, and they're tormenting men as they come into this place called hell. No. It is so bad it torments sin. That's why we said this morning, even the, the devil said, send us into the swine. Don't send us to that place before the time. They knew what it was. And if hell will torment super spirits, think what they do with human spirits. 
before Christ's ascension into heaven, hell, I believe, was down in the middle of the earth. It was made up of four compartments. There was paradise. That's where those who died and were saved, they went to paradise. Their spirits were there. And then there was a great gulf. And then there was Hades, hell. And then there was a place uh, called Tartarus in the Greek, which was a dwelling for the devils that had been sent there before the time. That's probably why those uh, devils during the time of, of Jesus on earth, knowing those others were down there, said, please don't send us there. We don't want to be in that place before we have to be. So if you're saved today or you're unsaved, if you're saved, you miss that. But if you're unsaved you, and you die without Jesus Christ, you'll go to that place called hell. Now understand, it's a real place. There is no such thing as a soul sleep. The body were called sleeps of the Christian. But the unsaved has no rest. One second into eternity, the unsaved person is, is awake and realizes he's without hope and he's tormented day and night forever and ever. The Christian closes his eyes in death, his physical eyes in death, and opens great and wonderful eyes in the presence of our Lord. Boy, I tell you, that is a great thing, isn't it? In Luke chapter 16, verses 23 through 26, it, it describes what the present hell is. This is not the final lake of fire. This is hell. This is the county jail before you go to prison, so to speak. And he says there, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may tip, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that uh, they which would pass from hence to you cannot, and neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Now what I find interesting about that passage, the rich man is in hell, and the next few verses he'll go on to say, send someone to my brothers to warn them of this place. Even the men and people in hell pray for the people they know to get saved. They don't want them to go to that place. And, and just look, here he is. Again, I don't know what it's like to be there. Evidently, there's a body that can feel pain. It can feel fire. It can feel all the things. As a matter of fact, when you look at that and, and you see that he's there, there is hunger, there is flame, there is no water, but there's a drive for it. And all of that's literal. Paradise is now up in heaven. It's not down there any longer. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says in Ephesians that he led captivity captive. He took paradise and took it up to heaven. 
And Paul called it uh, the third heaven. And Well, should I say the Holy Ghost through the pen of Paul said it was the third heaven. Paradise. Where he heard things that were not lawful, they were so holy on earth to, to say. You ever hear people say, we speak in a heavenly language, a heavenly tongue? Then they've just sinned against God because he says it's not lawful on earth to use that kind of language on earth. It's so holy, it's corrupted by man's unholy mouth. And so, they're caught up to heaven to be with the Lord, and oh, it is wonderful. And there is rejoicing in their presence every time somebody gets saved. Just like the people in hell want people to get saved, the people in heaven want people to get saved. And when a backslider gets right with God, oh, they love that so much. And there's great rejoicing in the presence of the angels. And and the saints are right there in the presence of the angels. And that's where the great rejoicing comes in. And so they're rejoicing over all of this. And they're just waiting for the day of the rapture and eternity to start. But the unsaved, those without Christ, if they don't get saved before their death, hell is their destiny. They'll be there and held there even through the thousand years, and then to end of the thousand years, after Satan makes his one more effort, then, then they're caught up. Satan is cast into the lake of fire. The beast and the false prophet during the tribulation are there already, been there for over a thousand years now. And then the white throne judgment. Everyone there, as we said this morning, is going to be condemned to that eternal lake of fire, but it'll be worse for some than it is for others. But we are caught up to be with the Lord. What a wonderful thing that is. You know, the question to ask yourself is, which will it be for you? Matthew chapter 24, verse 44 says, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of man cometh. Is that real? Think of that. If that is real, and it is, by the way, then these things we're saying is not science fiction. It is the truth. These things are going to happen. And if you're saved, it involves you. And if you're unsaved, it involves you. As far as hell is concerned, if you're saved, it's heaven and the judgment and everything that is uh, aligned there. But, oh, the lake of fire and eternal damnation. You know, it's interesting that the Bible uses the Greek word, Gehenna. For this lake of fire. The lake of fire is worse than hell. Gehenna comes from the word, uh, Greek word uh, uh, that was used to describe this garbage deep, uh, dump outside of Jerusalem. Uh, it says the valley of Hinnom and other parts. And, and what this was all about, this garbage was a garbage heap without standards, you might say. Now, we have garbage heaps around here and so forth. We have the dump and so forth. And they have certain standards they have to abide by. This one didn't. It wasn't unusual for dead bodies to be cast on there. This odor of burning flesh could often be 
smelled and, and, and at that point. It was a terrible place. And it was a place that would well in the people's minds give them an idea of what hell would be like. The stench of burning flesh. You know, sometimes it's easy to say, are these things real? Are these things real? But you know, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, because it is real, says this. And fear not him which is able to kill the body, but is not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, the soul in hell does have a body that can never cease to exist. The soul in hell has a body that will never uh, just pass away, will never have a reprieve, will never escape forever. Just think of the mental suffering of hopelessness. And yet, they could have escaped that had they received Christ as their Savior. I find it interesting, if you read Mark chapter 9, verse 44, it has some very interesting things to say about this. Uh, in Mark 9, 44, I think I turned it over and said it over here, but in Mark 9, 44, he says there on three different occasions, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. In that little passage, three times he said that. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. In other words, you can't cease to exist. The worm dieth not. There's always something for the worm. You remember in Revelation chapter 9 when those creatures come out, those, those uh, uh, locusts come out of the, uh, the pit? And they sting men and they uh, want to die and they can't die. I believe that those locusts were made for the pit. I don't think they're tormented there. I think they were made for it and they are used as part of the torment. That man would get the idea of the pain that's involved in this place. The worm dieth not. This is the eternal state. And yet, in this tormenting, this eternal state of hell and fire, death. You say, why is it called death? Because death means separation. They're separated from God. There's no hope. They're in hell. That's death, to be separated from God forever. And no chance to be saved. Once you die, there's no escape. There's no mercy. But what a contrast that we have. If you're saved, it's a great contrast. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, this body, will, not everybody's body will die. Why? Because there's a rapture coming. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, all be changed that are saved. 
or this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then. Then. When we have done that. It shall be brought to pass. The saying that is written. Death is swallowed up. In victory. Oh death where is thy sting? Oh grave where is thy victory? The sting of sin is death. Wow. The sting of death is sin should I say. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. That's what condemned us. But thanks be unto God. Which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that great? Men can persecute, men can say, and all those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But I tell you what, the one thing you know, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be, to, uh, to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Your suffering that's standing for Christ is never, 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 never in vain. Always stand for him. But oh, the agony of the soul without Christ. That eternity one faces without him. Oh, what a contrast. Turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter 21, just a chapter over. Let's look at our part. In verses 1 through 4, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, sometimes people say, you mean no ocean? <laughs> uh, probably not, because that's salt water. This water is going to be pure as crystal, clear and pure. It's a pure river of water of life. And so he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. <laughs> the former things with its failures and everything else are passed away. The former things with our carnality is passed away. The former things with our weaknesses are passed away. We are, we are with the Lord. What a great thing that is. Look down at verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like to a stone most precious, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Let's jump down to verse 16. And the city lieth four square, and the uh, length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. I'm told that 12,000 furlongs is equal from about Denver, Colorado to the Atlantic Ocean. 
wide, deep, high. Anybody thinks you live in a big house, wait till you get there. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's great. It's a great place. Uh, let's, let's go on from there. Uh, he says, and he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. In the building of the wall, it was of jasper, and the city was as pure gold, likened to clear glass. In the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The foundation, the first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, a chalcedony, the fourth, an emerald, the fifth, a sardonyx, the sixth, a sardius, the seventh, a chrysolite, the eighth, a burl, the ninth, a topaz, the tenth, a chrysoprasis, the eleventh, a jacinth, and the twelfth, an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. <laughs> Would you like to get that oyster? And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. We're told in the Old Testament that he is seven times brighter than the sun. Not hotter, brighter. In that great place. Look down at verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. They which are written, to, uh, but they which are written in the book of life. You know, great thing about that great city with all those precious jewels, you won't have to lock the door. The gates are open. We don't want any of those old things that he mentioned there. Look in chapter 22, verse 8 and 9 real quickly. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith, unto he, saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. You know, the word angel actually means messenger. This messenger was actually a human in this life here. He was a human. And he is showing John all these things of heaven. He's showing him in the future of heaven. He says, I'm of your brethren, the prophets. He, he, he was a prophet here on earth. He, he was one of the brethren. And now... He's showing John the new Jerusalem. But what is that new body that Christ gives us? That John, an apostle of God, someone who would not bow down and worship idols or worship men, what is it about that body, that glorified body, that would even make a man as the apostle John want to bow down and worship? Wow, that's what waits for us. Is that a contrast to the man that said, I am tormented in this flame? Oh, the agony of the soul without Christ. 
Oh, the agony of the one in eternal damnation. In 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12, it reads this way. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You know what's so interesting about that? The verse before that says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants men to be saved, all to come to repentance. He says, but the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Uh, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons are you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, that tells us, those days coming, keep your focus on eternity because what we read in Revelation 21, 22 is forever. You might suffer a little bit here, but it'll be nothing compared to what we have in heaven. Not comparable at all. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what we're going to. But the man here in Second Peter, oh, what he's facing. Christ comes back. The thousand-year millennium is set up. Satan is loosed at the end of the millennium. And then he's cast into the lake of fire forever. The white throne judgment. And then God changes everything. Everything. Every passage on the passing away of heaven and earth in the New Testament does not use the Greek word for annihilation. It doesn't use the Greek word for termination of existence. Rather, it's the idea of renovation. Uh, for an example, Matthew 24, verses 34 and 35, he says... Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things shall be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. God has said it, so it's, it's settled. It's settled. Heaven and earth will not pass in that way. He says, uh, to go on, he says there in Matthew five eighteen, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth uh, pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law. By the way, heaven and earth has not passed yet as far as I know. Okay. And so, these things are yet to come. But Second Peter 3, 11 and 12 uses the word dissolved. The word dissolved is the idea of an Alka-Seltzer, okay? You got an Alka-Seltzer tablet. I made the mistake as a little boy putting one of those in my mouth, and that was not a fun experience, you know. But, you put them in water. And they dissolve. It's still Alka-Seltzer, but now it has changed form. Now it's something new. Just like 
the saved, when we're caught up to be with the Lord, we're not in these old carnal bodies. We're no longer in these bodies that have problems and physical maladies and things of that nature. No. He says that we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He says that we'll have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body, that this vile body will be put off. You see, the thing wrong in the world is sin in the human nature and the curse of the physical universe. But that will be changed. And that shows us the consistency of the Scripture. You see, if it's total annihilation, then hell is not forever. The lake of fire is not forever. So it can't be total annihilation It's changed. The man in hell is not annihilated. Heaven is not annihilated either. We're with the Lord. He says the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Elements are the first steps. The idea of the definition from way back then, as it was used in the Greek, it was the first step of matter. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. We know that uh, atoms, when they split, okay, you know, the, you get the proton, neutron. I've got a science teacher in here, so I've got to be careful. But uh, when they split, there's a little bit of noise and a little bit of heat, isn't there? And ask the people of Hiroshima if they were alive. Nagasaki, if they were alive. When that happens, there is a great destruction. Well, we know that the Lord controls that. And when he lets go, that great heat, what's he doing? He's renovating this earth. Uh, Remember how they refined gold in the fire? Oh, he's making everything anew. He is renovating it all. A new heaven and a new earth. But without Christ, you'll be in a place where you'll forever smell the odors of burning flesh and unfortunately, your own. Five times in the book of Revelation, it says fire and brimstone. People make fun. I see one of those old fire and brimstone preachers. Well, because I have to stand before God one day and give an account of my preaching, I am. You can make fun of that kind of preaching. But if you do, just understand, you are playing Russian roulette with your own soul. How ignorant is that? You know, I think probably the most ignorant, one of the most ignorant games in the world is to play Russian roulette. There's no reward for not finding the bullet except that you're still alive. And there is a loser's prize if you find the bullet. He said, that is dumb. That that is a dumb game to play. You know what? That really isn't dumb in comparison to playing Russian roulette with your soul. Fear not him which can kill the body, but after that there's no more that he can do. But fear him which can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
That's the one to fear. Revelation 1.18 says it this way, that Jesus Christ, he has the keys of hell and of death. Why? Because he earned it through the cross in his humanity. By the way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So we know that he was the creator already. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So we already know that. But in his deity, he already had that power. But in his humanity, he gained the power because he was standing in our place. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. And so he has the keys of hell and of death. If you're going to go to heaven, that's the only way. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He's conquered all that ever conquered me. He died for the sin of the whole world, as 1 John 2, 2 says. Uh, and the, he is the propitiations, we said this morning, the entire payment for all time for our sins. But not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. There are people out there, you know, people try to change the Bible. Just in one verse, look at those whosoever's in Revelation 22. <laughs> he says, and the Spirit bride say, come, let him here come, and whosoever will, let him come. You know, if God says something once, it's true. If he says it's whosoever, and he said it many times in the Scriptures, but whosoever, he said it's right there. They can come. Don't let people tell you that some are predestined to go to hell. They're not. That is a lie out of hell. That's a lie of the devil because he can deceive some people into thinking that they are headed for hell and there's nothing they can do about it. And he can deceive other people saying, I'm saved, and they're not. Don't let him deceive you that way. 1 Timothy 2, verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4, should I say. That God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9. We have already read the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness. He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, that's our Lord. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does God lie? Is God just throwing a whosoever in there to kind of fool you and deceive you? You think you got a deceiving God? You think Almighty God is a deceiver? Now there is one that is called the deceiver in the Bible and it's not God. The father of deceits is the devil. You can trust the word of God. So believing that God came in the flesh, he was born of a virgin, he was sinless, and he died on the cross for all our sins. As 1 Peter 2.24 says this, who his own self buried in his body, our sins in his own body on the tree. 
that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes we are healed. Yes, he did that for us. You call upon him to save your soul, giving him your heart and life, and he will save you. You believe that he bodily rose from the dead, bodily. Liberals several years ago were preaching, oh, yes, we believe in the resurrection. Oh, we love Easter because we believe in the resurrection. They said, well, just the spirit rose. That body didn't raise. What's wrong with you folks? They said, the spirit rose. But they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say, what's wrong with you folks? The body didn't raise. They wouldn't say anything about it. They just said, Jesus arose. Well, that guy believes in the resurrection. He's all right. No, he's not. He didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. Jesus rose up from the dead, and that guaranteed our bodily resurrection. Yes, the Bible doctrine of eternal damnation is one that is gut-wrenching, but it's true. And that's why 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time, and now is the day of salvation. Now, let me just close this up by asking a couple questions. I shared scriptures with you both this morning and this evening. Do you believe what the Bible says about the eternal damnation of a soul? That there's no escape? Do you really believe that? Uh, Do you believe the Bible, also the scriptures that says that you and I are called to be witnesses? Ezekiel 33 talks about blood on our hands because we didn't warn the wicked of his wicked way. They'll die in their sins, but their blood, will he required our hands, and we'll be counting the loss as we could have witnessed to those people and had reward. And that blood is the witness to say, no, you've lost that reward that I planned to give you. But what is it to say, oh, I love the Lord. Oh, he's my God. Oh, he's the master. He's the Lord of my life. And yet, when he's asked us to witness the gospel, oh, no, you know, people think I'm crazy. People think I'm a nut. Be a nut. Just be screwed to the right bolt, okay? That's all right. Be a nut, if that's what they call it. In the world's eyes, it's a nut. Guess who's going to be the nut? Guess who's going to be the nut when they die without Christ? Guess who's going to feel like a nut when he's ashamed at his appearing, even though he's saved, he's ashamed at his appearing, and that blood is just so rich and red on his hand. And at that white throne, he sees that soul cast into the eternal lake of fire. I wonder... In that body that's given that person, he's looking at us. Maybe he's looking at you. If we really believe the Bible, that's the reality. That's why we're called to be a witness. But that's a loving thing. A loving thing. Why? Because we're rescuing the perishing. We're caring for the dying. We're not saying, oh, just go ahead and let them go to hell. I don't care. 
Well, I'd never say that. Well, actions speak a whole lot louder than words. You know, I think one of the most damnable uh, doctrines that are taught out there, false doctrines, is Calvinism. But a lot of Christians that say they don't believe it are practicing Calvinists because they don't witness. Be a witness for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The next thing is, are you sure if you died tonight that heaven's your home? Look, I've been in church services where people that everybody thought was saved got saved. And there's always that one or two. <laughs> so that's just them. They just don't know which way is up, you know. I can't trust them at all. They make fun of it or they put it down in some way. Look, I would a billion times want a person to be sure than to live the rest of their life in doubt and go to hell. How can I witness a gospel that I'm not sure of myself? You're not sure you're saved. Make sure tonight. Make sure tonight. Let's bow our heads, please.